Hello and welcome to Pod Sing Say, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. I'm Steph, and together with my co-hosts, Abby, Jen, and Nicole, we'll be re-watching an episode of Avatar each week and discussing it here. This week, we'll be talking about Book 1, Chapter 2, The Avatar Returns. In this episode, after bringing Fire Nation attention to the village, Aang is banished, despite Katara's objections. Zuko soon descends on the village and demands the Avatar be surrendered to him. Aang returns to the village to defend it, where he reveals that he is, in fact, the Avatar. He then surrenders himself to Zuko on the condition that the villagers are left alone, to which Zuko agrees. Katara and Sokka then decide to pursue Aang on Appa. Aboard Zuko's ship, Aang is at Zuko's mercy, but he eventually manages to break free from the guards and does battle with Zuko in the process. Aang is nearly defeated by Zuko, getting knocked into the water and almost drowning, but he saves himself using waterbending in his avatar state, a state in which he taps into all the bending potential of his past lives from a cycle of reincarnation, allowing him to manifest incredible ability to manipulate the four elements. With the help of Katara and Sokka, Aang escapes from Zuko. As the three ride away on Appa, they set a course for the North Pole so that Aang and Katara can learn waterbending. Uh, this episode aired together with the very first episode, and you can really tell that they're meant to be watched together because they flow right into each other. Mm -hmm. So you see right away the consequences of Aang and Katara going into that Fire Nation ship with the Water Tribe all being very angry and wanting Aang immediately out of the village. I guess you're supposed to also see Aang and Katara's side, but you know, the Water Tribe was not wrong Mm -hmm. because they did signal the Fire Nation and they did immediately show up. This really small, dilapidated village, and then it's contrasted in the future when we go and visit the other water tribe and see how developed they are. And then again, as we learn more about Katara's mom and how there was a genocide in this tribe, it just makes it that much more sad to watch because there's just nobody left. The only person that's left that's in charge is Sokka. And for me, I kept thinking about how that's such like a trope of the young boy who's not quite an adult tasked with being the man of the house, where it's when his father and the other men left. They were probably just like, you're the man of the village, you're the leader, you have to protect everybody and that kind of thing. I understand the well intentions, but I think we've been talking about how these are all still kids. That kind of stuff has to mess with a kid too. Mm -hmm. And you can, I don't want to call them immature, but how childish they still are by the way Katara reacts to them banning Aang, which is the responsible decision in that situation. And they weren't wrong. He did signal them. Yeah. And then she's immediately just like, fine, I'm banished too. And I'm just like, calm down. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, come on, you got to see the whole picture. But she doesn't because she knows that he didn't mean to and he's a good person, which is also true. I mean, that made me think too how during that scene when she was mad at her grandma because she felt like she lost the one chance she had to ever leave the village. Mm -hmm. And that made me think about for us, it's like we take it for granted how accessible the rest of the world is for us. You know, it was kind of that moment where I was like, oh, like she's literally never left this village. She's probably never even seen trees, even though they had firewood, which I was like, how do they have firewood? But whatever, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) But even I was thinking too during the fight on the Fire Nation ship when Aang first waterbended, this is probably literally the first time she's ever seen waterbending. Wow, like she just is so unintentionally naive. Mm-hmm. She just hasn't seen so much of the world. And yeah, so I could understand her flying into a bit of a tantrum trying to keep that in mind as well. It's true. 
I want to say that in terms of future knowledge coming in again, that entire scene where they were like, Aang, you're banished. I was like, wow, look at this contrast. Katara being like, I'm banished. It's such a sharp and kind of painful contrast of the Southern Water Tribe and Sokka and Katara's family versus the Fire Nation royal family. Um... That was what I was thinking the moment the word banish came in. This is a much more serious deal for some other people in this series. Mm. Also to what you were saying about how this episode fits with the first episode. I did not know that until last week when you guys said it. But I could totally tell there were definitely besides just flowing into each other, which is something that happens in this kind of serial show there's also just a lot of little themes that were the same as ones i was noticing last time for example the whole spirit of fun thing that i noticed with ang it was going strong in this episode as well katara immediately at the beginning has this whole thing where she's like ang has brought us fun in this village later sokka has this amazing excitement at the flying he has this sort of childish wonder Mm -hmm. and that felt to me there it is the fun that they've been brought even at the very end they're sort of setting up all the season one filler episodes but uh yeah. Aang is like okay guys be, instead of just going to the North Pole we gotta go do all this stuff we gotta ride these beasts it's gonna be fun mm-hmm. and then also he has that line where he's talking to Zuko that parallels how we said that one of the great lines last time yeah 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 when he was talking to Katara he said you are a kid and Zuko was like you're just a child and he was like well you're just a teenager mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's like the best comeback honestly <laughs> Not to sidetrack, but the thing that made me laugh the most in this episode was there's a line where Zuko talks about how he's been training his whole life. I think it's right before the teenager line and he's like, I meditate. And I was like, bitch, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I meditate. Da, da, da. And I was just like, you're such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but going back to what you were saying about Aang, that was also something I really liked about his actions in this episode too, where he was very selfless when he willingly left. And he's like, if you don't hurt them, I'll come with you. But then also he was still so strategic about it. Like as soon as he got onto the ship, he just immediately just started messing with people Mm -hmm. and escaped. So for me, it was nice kind of almost subtle way of showing that again, he seems really naive, but he went knowing he had a plan. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just there and was like, I think I'll leave now. It was literally, I'm going to get far enough away from the tribe so that they're safe. And then I'm going to attack and I'm going to just escape on my own. And I just, I liked the little thing like that too. Yeah. I don't remember where I saw it, but someone online said about Aang that he's very easy to catch, but he's very Mm. difficult to hold on to, which Mm, I feel this episode shows, and not that he was caught, he went willingly, but. Yeah. That's also the fighting style, airbending, fighting, at least how, I'm sure it would have been different if they weren't a nomadic monk-based culture and they're like pacifists, but like Mm -hmm. Aang's fighting style is very evasive and you saw that, especially this fight was really interesting for me too, because a lot of this fight was in close quarters. It was all in a ship, so he didn't even have access to the sky and to arguably like his main weapons being his staff having access to open air for like big sweeping attacks. So it was a lot of close combat, a lot of funny maneuvers in the narrow hallways of the ship. And then also literally the one scene where he is just keeping his hand on Zuko's back when he's kind of following wherever his spine is, is where he goes. And it was just really cool to to see that already develop and coming through. Because for me too, something that I've learned just 
having uh, I have a friend who's like a kung fu cinema historian and specialist and one of the things it's like obvious when I say it but something that he always emphasizes the fight scenes have to mean something they have to progress the story beyond just like punching and kicking the fighting needs to be in character with the characters fighting and the fact that they did actually develop different styles for the fighting that are ingrained into how the characters are is just like another strength to the show where he is like a young kid he's naive he doesn't want to fight so it makes sense that he has this like really powerful attack style that is more evasive and passive and kind of fun and light like he is too mm-hmm. yeah ang during that fight scene was a boss mm-hmm. the way that he was sort of teasing them he was like i bet i can take both you guys with my hands tied behind my back and then he does <laughs> <laughs> And then also something that I noticed was how he used the air scooter when he was fighting Zuko. Yeah. And that is a move that, first of all, is not a combat move, but he's using it in a combat way. So that's sort of thinking outside the box. It's like the fight lessons way later on with Piandao's use everything. Mm-hmm. Also, it's an airbending move that he invented. Yeah. And he made that up. It wasn't taught to him for just for fun. Mm-hmm. They really showed us very clearly that he's totally an airbending master. Although I do think also you're talking about how he just went willingly onto the ship to save the tribe. Mm-hmm. And that's true. He did. You see there his sort of willingness to help people, this kind of spirit that he has, where even though they tried to banish him, he he came back to save them. And even though he could have kept fighting them there, he was like, okay, let me go. He had zero concern that they would actually going to be able to hold him. He was just like, don't worry, Katara. See you guys. Take care of Appa till I escape. He was very chill about it. I will say I almost thought that he was not entirely taking it super seriously. Maybe he was not completely thinking about the possible consequences of this, of the fact that he clearly did not intend to hold up his end of the bargain with his, with Zuko here. Mm-hmm. Because we know that Zuko is too honorable to turn back around and take it out on the village. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I really has no way of knowing that. Yeah, any other fire general that we meet later in the show, you know, would do that. They would. They know they've shown us to it a little bit how Zuko grabbed Grand Grand. You have that moment where like, oh no, here it comes, the bad guy who's threatening the elderly old woman, and then he doesn't really threaten her. He's just kind of using her as an example of her age. But the Southern Water Tribe has a long history of seeing Fire Navy come in, take people away on their ships, and then they never see those people again. Mm-hmm. And that sort of is what happens here. And Aang doesn't really know about any of that. There's a history here that he's not aware of. I do think you could tell he wasn't really trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. He was really just going for intimidation, scare tactics, fire over everybody's head. Even when Sokka kept coming at him, all he did was kind of push him out of the way. Part of it could be just that it's a kid's show and they don't want him to be too violent. But I do think it's a show of his character as well. That Mm -hmm. he's not going to harm people unnecessarily. He wants to get the Avatar. That's his one goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not for nothing. It sounds like he got banished from the Fire Nation. And then this has been the only thing he's done since then is just search the world. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like he's probably never been in really confrontational situations or had to threaten or hurt people. He's Mm -hmm. just been constantly looking for clues and information. And and he's probably going to different villages and trying to demand answers and stuff. 
And I'm sure most people probably just answer because he's clearly Fire Nation are like clearly global colonizers in this universe. So yeah. everyone's like, okay, like, what do you want? I liked his fight with Sokka. Obviously, Sokka was ridiculously outmatched, but I liked that he still got hit in the back with the boomerang. You know, it kind of told the audience he's really scary and intimidating, but also he's just a fucking stupid kid too. Not yeah. in the same way. Sokka is clearly does not have any battle experience before mm. then. Clearly, any training he's had was very, very loose or even self-taught if it was after his dad left. But you can tell he has no experience. And then Zuko is supposed to have experience, but then even he still can get kind of one-upped by someone like Sokka. Yeah, I think this episode really brought Zuko back down to earth because it's just reminding me with Zuko's battle with Aang, how easily Aang was able to just stomp all over Zuko and escape so easily. It reminded me- Oh my God, the mattress? Yeah. And first of all, I needed to ignore the fact that nothing in that room was flammable they were in an enclosed room with rugs yes. and grass mats on the wall maybe everything is just fireproof I don't know but just going back to when he was yelling at Uncle Iroh I still only know the basics that was very apparent in his fight with Aang who was clearly more superior in his advancement with developing his bending skills so I think it was a humbling experience for him I can't underestimate Aang um mm-hmm. still a kid but there's a reason why he's the avatar so I really need to step it up and I really think that that was a, a lesson learned for him in this episode Mm-hmm. Yo, but also I got so mad at him for disrespecting Uncle this episode. <laughs> he hands the staff to Uncle. He's like, put this in my chambers. And then I, I thought, like, I... without missing a beat, he was just like, this bitch, who does he think he is? <laughs> I feel like for me, just something really small like that also just showed what the power dynamic is versus what they both think it is, where Zuko thinks he could do that. And Iroh's just like, oh, that's cute. But he doesn't correct him or anything. He's just like, I'm not even going to address this. Yes. I'm just going to like move on. Exactly. Well, how relatable is he though that immediately he was sleep oh that's true One of the things that I felt weird about was the final firebending attack that Iroh and Zuko, they do like a joint attack at Aang Mm -hmm. and then he deflects it and then hits the glacier. And I remember kind of being like, oh, Uncle probably felt kind of conflicted shooting a fireball at the Avatar. Just like knowing that deep down he is like a good person who wants balance in the world. Mm. So yeah, it's funny that he was asleep and that took Uncle out of the picture because we're not supposed to really know yet that he still is such a badass. And I feel like to be fair, that he also gets jacked later on in the series too. But like, you know, obviously, he still is a master yeah jacked in a good way or jacked in a bad way oh in a good way in a good way in a good way yeah like buff okay Because I was also thinking too, Uncle's the first person in this. He develops the technique for firebenders being able to shoot lightning. And that was something too, where Miko and I were talking and Miko was like, oh, can't he just shoot lightning? One, even if he could, he's not going to do it because he doesn't want to kill the Avatar. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the rest of the Fire Nation, but Iroh doesn't want to kill the Avatar. But also, I don't remember if he developed the technique yet or not, because it seems like he doesn't tell people he can do it. I don't know. That's one of those things where I'm trying not to think too far ahead because my memory is just not good anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, about specifics like that relatable yeah but also something else about the fight I thought was really cute was when Zuko and Sokka fight there's a moment where Zuko uses Sokka's staff and he dunks him on the head three times oh yeah (laughs) and then later in the episode on the ship yeah Sokka does the same thing at him and the same cartoony noise that was like a fun little bookend I don't know it was really funny I like that too it closed the circle on that Mm -hmm. yeah we're actually kind of equals at this point Mm-hmm. I think that's what it represented. Yeah. I felt like the parallels or the contrast between Zuko and Sokka were really interesting mm-hmm. because as they're both preparing for that 
initial fight. Sokka's on his own and he's never really been trained. He's just has to do everything himself. Yeah. And then you keep interlacing that with shots of Zuko getting dressed by other people. Mm-hmm. And he has a teacher and yeah. he's been taught how to fight and how to yeah. bend and all this stuff. So then obviously Sokka's just going to get his ass handed to him and he does. Mm. He tried. Yeah. And he got one in. The boomerang mm. came back and, and he also got to whack Zuko on the head a few times, which is fun. Oh my god, also they both have daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of parallels between the two of them throughout the whole thing, but I just thought mm. that those shots leading up to the mm. ship arriving were very interesting. Yeah. If you do get that immediate, oh, these two boys have had very different upbringings. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. That's interesting because when I was watching that same scene, I was actually thinking something different, which was I sort of was getting vibe like in Pocahontas, the Savages song, where mm. they show this clear parallel that they're both suiting up, they're both getting ready. And to me, it almost seemed this symbology like people on opposing sides of the war, but they're still kind of the same. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, they Mm -hmm. are both just teenage boys Mm -hmm. who have way heavier things to deal with than they should. Yeah. I really liked that the first episode, of course, focused a lot more heavily on Katara. Mm. Um, And then this one, I feel like Sokka was focused on a little bit because this was the more combative episode and Katara clearly can't waterbend quite yet, or it's like very hit or miss, but Sokka was kind of the one line of defense without Aang around. I really liked that Sokka was the one who was packing the canoe and was Mm -hmm. taking the initiative for him and Katara to leave. That was such like a nice moment to give to him. It wasn't Katara was sneaking away and then he's like, well, I have to go with you. Someone has to look after you. He was the one where it was like, yeah, come on, we have to do this. This is the right thing to do. And that was just a nice moment to make up for some of the less stunning characteristics that were shown last week. (laughs) (laughs) True. One of the things that I really liked in this episode is just the detail of the worlds that they live in. So starting with the battle preparation, Sokka putting on his face paint and then seeing Zuko's armor and then thinking about the stuff that they're packing in the canoe, just the amount of thought and research that each tribe has, I think is really cool. And that's obviously built from existing, I guess, artifacts in in history Mm -hmm. throughout Asia. So I'm really excited just to see the different nations again as we watch more episodes because I'll really be paying attention to more to details like that because yeah, their outfits are so cool and that takes a lot of thinking in designing that. So mm-hmm. I just really appreciated the details because we're kind of seeing more elements of the world as each episode comes on. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to leave the Southern Water Tribe. Obviously it's a tragedy what happened to them, but it's, it's, it's such like a sad, every wide shot of the tribe is just so sad it's like a couple of really rundown tents yeah there's like 10 people there it's so upsetting because then the other tribe is this massive city like technology as air quotes technology as much as they can have and it's just this group was just abandoned by everybody yeah Yeah. they've just been isolated from the rest of the world for so long Mm. but then the men still left to to try Mm -hmm. to help yeah Sokka's beer got destroyed so easily. Zuko broke it with his own hands. So to think yeah. that Sokka is not even the strongest, that doesn't make me mm. feel good about the men who left two years ago. It is sad because I, I don't know the chance and likelihood of the survival of the, the men of the tribe. Damn. Yeah. Shit just got real. Some heavy stuff. 
It did. When Zuko's <laughs> ship crashed into their village, completely annihilating Sokka's little defense wall. Oh yeah, his watchtower. And his watchtower. His ship was so much bigger than their entire village. Mm-hmm. And Zuko, as we find out in the next episode, has a tiny ship. <laughs> like, Zuko's ship in comparison to all the rest of the Fire Navy is a really tiny little junker. And yeah. it was so much more huge than the entire Southern Water Tribe. I was like, damn. I mean, I never counted, but how many of people are even there altogether? Honestly, I feel like some of the group shots, there's maybe not even 10 adults yeah. and the cluster of kids at mm-hmm. any given time. Yeah, I was thinking maybe 20 people maximum. Max, yeah. yeah. And now they lost two more yeah. to the adventure. They lost like the, t- the two, like, I guess, I mean, it, not to undermine the work of the moms that stayed behind, but and, you know, obviously we just learned that as much as Sokka is like, I'm in charge of the village. I protect it. It's just like, do you though? <laughs> yeah. So then it's also him leaving. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Oh. As, as mean as that is, I guess to be fair, he was probably fishing <laughs> for them and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Because also, I just was laughing because when they were flying away at the end of the episode, Katara jokes with him where she's like, oh, yeah, like Sokka, like you could beat up some Fire Nation people. And I was like, yeah, because that works so well this episode, Sokka. <laughs> He's just like, I would really like that. He's sitting here like, yeah, can't wait to get into it with some of these Fire Nation thugs. I'm going to beat them up. And I'm just like, check yourself. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just like the thought that they have even time to do that when Aang started listing mm-hmm. the different pit stops that they're going to make. You literally don't have time for this. What? Yeah. Any sense? So, I guess that was just me being the adult kind of mindset. Yeah, so yeah, the adult in the room. You don't have time for this, but I guess this is fine. You need to offset that with things that will make you feel better about this huge burden you have. So, I guess I'll allow it, but this is alarming to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's also like a sign that Aang doesn't quite get it still. Mm. And he's like, I want to play. I want to do all these things that were fun for me 100 yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. At the end of this episode, you get a sense of his reluctance mm. to be the mm-hmm. avatar. Oh, yeah. And take on that responsibility. Yeah, because yeah, they ask him about it and he's like, yeah. I never wanted to be. And then that reminded me of a, something Zuko said to Aang too while he was on the ship where Zuko made a comment about how Aang didn't have a father right? because he's a monk. And yeah. I was just like, don't project your daddy issues onto Aang. Like one of those things where for me, like that was also really interesting to hear in a cartoon, mm-hmm. an American one, especially any kind of alternative parenting lifestyle. It's just us like, oh, okay. <laughs> It was funny because I just recently saw a tweet from one of the show's directors. His name's Giancarlo Volpe. And he tweeted something about how his art school teachers always told him he had to make sure the stories he told were really accessible and relatable to kids. And then he's just like, 10 years later, I make a show about a kid learning how to open his chakras. And yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wish that there was more opportunity to elaborate on that because I forgot that he revealed that he was the avatar in that episode. My roommate had to remind me. They're like, no, they know already. They know that he's the Mm -hmm. avatar because it was like a 30 second conversation where it's like, why didn't you say so? And he's like, oh, I never wanted it. Okay, we're going to like talk about all these next things that we're going to completely ignore it. So I I forgot. Yeah, the mm. reveal, too, was really quick during that fight. I don't remember the exact dialogue, but it was basically like, you're the Avatar? No way. And mm-hmm. then they cut to commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Zuko was like, you're the Avatar? You're just a child. I felt, because Zuko kept on talking before this about how the Avatar is going to be some great master, then it's a small boy. And maybe there's a moment even of, oh, no, I'm going to fight him. But he's just a kid. But then also he's like, no, I have to. Mm. 
that line about his father, maybe you don't have a father, maybe he's distancing himself a little bit from Aang, we're not the same, mm-hmm. or something, because he's reminding himself of his goals all the time, mm-hmm. almost, where the first thing he says when they get Aang, I'm going home, I was like, oh no, Zuko, yeah. and then the staff, this will make an excellent gift for my father. Yeah. First of all, I also got kind of Mulan vibes from that, where at the end of Mulan, she goes and she's like, here, father, the sword of Shan Yu, and also the crest of the emperor, to honor our family. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, honey. Although, mm-hmm. of course, then Aang, at the end, throws the shelf of ice onto them. So it's like throwing the Mulan stuff back on him. Tables mm-hmm. have turned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also thinking about it now, hearing you talk, him making the comment about Aang not having a dad, that's that kind of rude, because he still yeah. had a dad. Obviously, it's just not the same. And also, I'm just like, you're not exactly the right person to criticizing anybody and their relationship with their father. <laughs> I literally wrote that down. Who are you to be talking about having a father yeah. when you have such a terrible relationship with yours? Yeah. But I feel like he's kind of, I don't want to say he's in denial about what the reality is with his relationship with his dad. But mm-hmm. Oh, he is. Yeah, he totally yeah. is. <laughs> and, you know, he's a kid. So you don't want to think, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you don't want to think your relationship with your parent yeah. is hard. No, that's fair. Yeah. As a child. So I do think it is a little bit of a mm-hmm. projection in a sense when he's yeah. like, oh, you don't know what it is. You mm-hmm. don't have a father. For me, this is getting kind of not meta. Again, it was like the same thing where I bumped when they had firewood in the mm-hmm. tribe where I was like, where did they get firewood? But there was also a moment where when he made that comment about the monks and the father and stuff, oh, so you actually know something about this culture and mm-hmm. how they were brought up because I do remember too again this is jumping ahead but it did make me think about when they sneak into the Fire Nation school and all the misinformation that they're being taught about the air nomads so then that was also just something where again it's like they probably didn't have it figured out quite yet this early on but it was just funny how yeah it kind of like just got brought up and then it doesn't really get addressed all that much I'd say mostly like the next episode Zuko studied all the air nomads a lot during his three years searching for the Avatar. So yeah, that makes He sense. could know stuff. He's like the premier airbending scholar, <laughs> accidentally. Yes. He probably knows more than anybody except Aang. <laughs> I also mm. wonder how much being a member of the royal family, how much his education would have differed from mm, just that's fair. the common Fire Nation child. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Nicole. Uh, no, I was also just gonna say, you're saying this thing about the firewood, and you have a point, but also, they must have access to wood in general. All their boats are made of wood. No, yeah. Maybe if they go inland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going with the speculation. Yeah. No, no, and again, that's one of those things where it, clearly they do travel, and I'm sure normally it's like the leaders of the, you know, they would go out and they probably do trade routes and stuff like that. I mean, geographically, I don't remember how far away they are from anything else. Because that's also, even like, I had a brief moment of, oh, why are the Fire Nation, like, because it was like what Abby was saying before when he was, that he was firebending in his bedroom amongst all of his flammable possessions. <laughs> but then also I was sitting there and I was like, oh, like that room must have gotten so hot because right. he just kept warming up the metal. Right. Um, so I was also just like, oh, like, does it really make sense for these like Fire Nation, like these firebenders to be on a metal ship? And then I was like, well, what else would it be made out of, Jen? Like wood? Like that would be, that would be worse. <laughs> so I like, I get, I had to like check myself. But yeah, I had like this moment where I was like, oh, like that ship. I'm like, oh, like it's so weird. But I fine. was also thinking during that scene, all those cloth banners. Oh, I guess yeah. because it's Fire Nation, they must make all their stuff to be fire resistant. But then he set the one on fire that Aang wrapped yeah, like, in. You're giving them too much credit. No, no. So I was like, I don't understand. How is this whole room not up in flames? But, you yeah. know, it's a cartoon. 
Oh man, Cartoon I love thinking about that kind of stuff though. It's just like, this shouldn't be real, but that's why it's TV. So I yeah. had yeah. that moment with myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's true though, because Sokka also called it magic again this episode. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, like I feel like this is probably the last episode where they call it magic. Because I was thinking about too how this is the first time we see Appa fly as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not until way later that we learn that Appa is also airbending and that right. Appa species mm-hmm. are the first airbenders. So like that was even something I was just like, like, oh, right now Appa just looks like a magic flying bison with no context. You know, he flaps yeah. his tail and he gets out of the water. Right. But it's not until later we learn that and then we even see him specifically airbend. Mm-hmm. So that, that was even just a cool thing. God, like, oh, it's still kind of magical right now. He's falling with style. Yes, he was falling <laughs> with style. It's like rising with style. Yeah. But yeah, because even Katara, the brief moment that she airbended, it was like, or I'm sorry, waterbended. Yeah. Yeah. It was just funny because again, with her, there's no rhyme or reason where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So again, reminding myself that Sokka's never really seen any of this before. Yeah, it does kind of seem like this magic hit or miss thing. Yeah. So good on her because she accidentally froze Sokka to the ship. But then (laughs) she was able to think, how did I, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. And then was able to recreate that and freeze the Fire Nation soldiers. Yeah. That's how you figure things out is just Mm -hmm. repeating it and remembering how it feels. Mm -hmm. Practice makes Mm -hmm. perfect. But I was like, oh, good on her. She did Mm -hmm. a good job. (laughs) And then they were like defrosting them at the end. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the defrosting was pretty funny. Because Zuko, what did he say at the end? Oh, Take care of this right now after you're done with that. Because he saw that they're still frozen to the (laughs) ship. (laughs) But yeah, just letting you know after you're done with that. And then you can take care of the thing that I want. That's one of the things I really like about this show is that there is a very good balance of seriousness and levity. Mm-hmm. Where like even in the fight scenes, there's levity. Some mm-hmm. comedic moments like Zuko getting slammed around with the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> that just looks so, so painful. Zuko takes <laughs> yeah. so many hits to the head in this entire series. It's like in Stranger Things, there's all these jokes about like, should we be worried about all the brain damage that Steve takes? And I was thinking about that here. Zuko... <laughs> He gets roughed up so often. Mm -hmm. He really does. Yeah, he does. But he just keeps going. He He does. He like leapt off this tower to grab onto the That's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. He has zero (laughs) self-preservation. Yes, he does all this stuff with no no thought to consequences. He doesn't have any caution or sense of self-preservation, really. He only has the goal. But then that's also how he succeeds at stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously this comes back later even more blatantly. Iroh is like, you always do this. You do this thing and then you have no plan for afterwards. Yeah. I mean, literally, I just immediately thought of like, he hired like a fucking assassin assassin and then the assassin comes after him and i was just like like as soon as you said it i'm like wow it like doesn't ever he is like this like almost the entire show yeah act first think later yeah if he didn't manage to catch on to ang's foot what would have happened (laughs) exactly he doesn't think about that shit (laughs) it's like free fall more brain damage he definitely can't fly with his fire the way like azula could or his no. dad can he is not advanced he's still yeah. on his basic drills he's still in basic drills <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe he could have tried to slow his fall but i don't think that he would think of that he doesn't strike but me. also then he'd be like puffing out a huge burst of fire and then falling on the metal he just heated so zuko you gotta think <laughs> things through oh <laughs> uh, but he don't but then if the metal was heated, he wouldn't have burned himself because that's just the world that it is. Like, it would just have worked out magically. 
That's but he has been burnt by fire before. Exactly, but if it's convenient <laughs> for the plot, and that's why this is. Otherwise, that ship would have been okay. burned down fucking ten to years ago. To be fair, it takes a little. That's it true. takes exposure to heat for metal to heat up. You can't just have one burst of fire. And yeah, also, but if it's like a really South intense Pole. burst of fire, no, it's fine. Keep going. And also, they're at the South Pole. <laughs> that's true. They're in like frozen water. So I guess to start our wrap up, let's talk about who we think is the MVP of this episode. So. Let's go in uh, alphabetical order. So, Abby. Okay. I think, for me, this this MVP was Sokka just because he reminded Appa how to airbend again. And, and you know, <laughs> if he didn't go... First of all, he said yeehaw. So, that was just over for me. Like, you can't not say yeehaw <laughs> and not be the MVP. So... That's fair. He was way ahead of his time. He will be saying yeehaw since 2018 now. But yeah, <laughs> once again, he somehow pushes their journey forward by allow or mm-hmm. like act quote unquote activating Appa to fly again. And mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, like we could not have gotten here without without him saying yeehaw first and then yep yep. So that's my MVP <laughs> for this episode. I just I just want to say the subtitles were correct this episode. They oh, were. The yip, yip. They were. Yeah, last yes. episode said yip yap, but this time properly was yip yip. They yes. probably got like threatened well, on Twitter. Yeah, they fixed it. <laughs> I was oh offended. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, my MVP was I was gonna pick Appa because I was also like I respect Appa for refusing to fly until he was ready to fly, and then oh, finally like he was just like, all right. I was like, you now have my permission to tell me that you want me to do something and I will do it. And I was just like, good for you, Appa. Good for you. It's like we were talking about last week. He knows his boundaries and I respect that. His boundaries were respected. (laughs) (laughs) Not to jump in out of my alphabetical order that I just announced, but I also picked Appa. Yes! (laughs) Because one, I felt like he was very super relatable this episode because he was just like, I'm just going to lay here until I'm ready to move myself and you all just have to respect that. And I was like, I feel that 100%. Nicole. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say uh, Aang because... I like I said earlier, he was just such a boss during that fight. Master Airbender right here. Everyone Aww. else is still mediocre. Although shout out to Katara for knowing what she wants and going for it. Like she got all mad at them because they kicked Aang out and that was her one chance of becoming a waterbender. And then at the end, she was like helping Aang by being like, oh, well, since you're the avatar. If we go to the North Pole, we can get a waterbending teacher. I was like, when you help others, you're really helping yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, I just realized we did not mention at all about the Avatar state. Because we talked about him. Well, we talked about him waterbending. waterbending. I mean, it was a very amazing feat of waterbending. I think they actually used those words. That's yeah. the first time Sokka saw the potential of waterbending, I Oh, yeah, felt he was like. just like, yeah, he was like, now that's, like, that's real waterbending or something yeah. like that. But, yeah. like, for me, like, thinking about it right away, it showed, like, right after he um, he got a little woozy. Mm-hmm, so I feel mm-hmm. like it's, like, kind of setting that up, that, like, there is a vulnerability when he's done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then, and then also, 
Like, clearly, he still, like, doesn't understand what is happening to him when it happens. Yeah, and it obviously is just triggered by him being in an extremely dangerous situation. Oh, I already said mine. When Sokka was like, what was this? What did he say again? Yeehaw. And then he, like, went through iterations and then yip yip. So, um, it all really boils down to, like, one phrase. And episode one was, like, roast duck. And then episode two is yeehaw. So that's my favorite moment of today's episode. My favorite is I just love watching Aang fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mentioned it before, but again, I just, I love um, like the style of airbending. I just love the, I love that it's, it's like such a nonviolent fighting style that mm-hmm. like he's able to use so offensively and like he doesn't really change in that way. Like he, you know, he doesn't become more of a, of an aggressive attacker most of the time. And I just mm-hmm. really like that. I really liked when Grand Grand came up behind Sokka and Katara while they were like preparing to get into that canoe to chase after Aang and she was like what are you kids doing and they both just turned around and it had such this energy of like children caught breaking the rules mm-hmm. and it had this it had this sense of history behind it that I feel like I and all other people who were once children or siblings uh could feel where they were just like uh no, nothing uh <laughs> i mean i didn't really like everything that came after that with grand grand like pushing them off i was like what the hell are you doing but that moment <laughs> really spoke of sibling dynamics to me and i appreciated it yes we mentioned it earlier but i really liked the um i guess it's technically two scenes but when zuko knocks Sokka three times in the head mm-hmm. with his broken spear and then yeah. the callback to that at the end with Sokka because uh, I like bookends. I like callbacks. And the word honor was not spoken once in this episode. <gasps> That's crazy. So, yeah. So our honor count remains at one. Unbelievable. So, unbelievable. He didn't have a chance to say it. He was too busy, like, trying to. I mean, he said he, he <laughs> his dad like four times. He did mention his dad. <laughs> Right. Well, How many again. times Zuko mentions his dad? How many times Katara mentions her mom? <laughs> or Katara mentions Hope. Oh, man. It's pretty much like whatever, whatever gets parodied in the Ember Island Players episode is like yeah. what we need to track. Yeah. We're just going to have like a thousand tallies going. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. This was Pod Sing Say, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. Join us next week when we discuss Chapter 3, The Southern Air Temple.